welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) If you were to be arrested tomorrow, but none of your friends knew what it was for, what do you think they would assume you did? Oh, fuck. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. And today, we have Agent Pimento from Brooklyn Nine-Nine on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but if anybody's this and they watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they'll know who I'm talking about. Just Google image it. We're actually yeah, talking just about crazy, just as crazy. The matters. <laughs> <laughs> from Balance Health and Performance in Sydney, mate. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Nice. And we can't even say Dr. Nick from Balance Health and Performance in Castle Hill because you're kind of everywhere now. <laughs> Where are you? Yeah, yeah we, we've, got, we've got five locations. And, um, and yeah, like, I mean, I, I remember meeting you guys, I don't know, it would have been five, probably six years ago now. Yeah. Um, yep. And, um, you know, like it was at Castle Hill and at that time there weren't that many clinics and now there's five, um, which, you know, which in my crazy mind is still not enough and uh, it's still not the end game. And um, at the end of the day, uh, yeah, like we're everywhere, we're, we're everywhere, as, as everywhere as we possibly can be for now until we become more everywhere. What is the end game? Oh, the end game is like... Um, Look, if, if we don't, if we stop growing now and we just have five awesome clinics, I'm like super happy. That's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, like we are making a difference to people's lives irrespective of where in the world. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, we want to try and spread that as far and wide as possible. And if we can try and impact uh, people's health just by, just through physical touch and through like just a basic diagnosis and some rehab, Um, I want to do that as far and wide as possible. But for me, it's also to give chiros and physios an opportunity to have a career that's long lasting uh, so that they can actually have some career progression rather than sort of work for someone for a couple of years and think, oh, yeah, the next step is to open up my own business. And it's like, it really isn't. There's so much more for you to learn. So um, trying to just push the industry in the right direction in yeah. terms of career and in terms of what we actually do for patients. So that I want to have everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. I think um, I just had this like light bulb moment that like when we started at Flex five years ago, we were coming into it at the time where the industry kind of needed a bit of a shake up. It needed people that had more of an educated opinion on how to go about nutrition in a safe and uh, effective manner. And when I met you, I had a particular issue with my collarbone, osteolysis. Not many people knew what the hell it was. You immediately did. And then you and I just got talking shop and I was like, this guy's good. Like, this is what I'm looking for, right? And then as times progressed, you actually probably came into your world of manual therapy as well, where like, I actually didn't have that many people that I could recommend with confidence. And I always said to you when we moved to the Gold Coast, dude, when are you going to come to Queensland? But now we've (laughs) got some good people here too. Like, it's kind of like you came in when that world needed a shake up and now there's more and more practitioners that are at least got good quality skill sets or at least are are willing to learn, listen and, and adapt. So it's kind of, we kind of like progress at the same sort of time, I guess. 
I definitely think that uh, the, I agree. And, you know, when I think about sort of the way that CrossFit came in and shook up the, the training world a lot, mm. um, you know, worldwide, um, that got us thinking about mobility. And because it got us thinking about mobility, people were just coming in restricted. They're like, oh, that's as far as my arms go above my head. And mm. I was like, fuck, okay, cool. So I was just ARTing the shit out of it. And, um, you know, like just getting people as mobile as possible. So we got obsessed with mobility and that's when people like Kelly Starrett started to really make an impact and, you know, give people all these, you know, mobilizations and all these different voodoo flossing and this, that and the other. And we came up with great ideas. Um, and then like, for me, it was more like, well, I want to get in amongst it and actually practice and treat people inside these raw and real places like CrossFit gyms, not, you know, the glamorous air conditioned fitness first where you've got your beautiful little clinic door. Mm. I want to be in the gym. Like fashion first, Nick, not <laughs> fitness first. <laughs> what the FF stands for. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. That's cool. Mm. That's cool. Okay. I'm going to refer to it as uh, fashion first from now on, but um, girls in yep. Working out and shit. You should have like a. Do you do you belong to any of these gyms and then a tick box so that you know what kind of person you're getting? First? <laughs> you can like diagnose. Now, before we get too much into it, Nick, I I think it's obvious to listeners from what you said that you have a string of clinics that treat people for chiro and physio. But tell the listeners who don't uh, already know uh, you who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Yeah. So um, I am I'm a chiropractor. And I, you know, I mean, I've been a chiropractor for about 10 years now and I've been working in clinics for about, since about 2007, I've been in, I've been working on patients and, um, yeah, like I've worked on as many athletes as you could think of, um, of various different levels, whether it's bodybuilders, whether it's, um, whether it's, um, rugby league, NRL players, whether it's Sydney Swans players, whether it's CrossFit athletes, whether whatever, uh, Olympians, like I've treated them and, um, you know, uh, I've really had been blessed with that. Um, as I feel that, uh, a lot of it was the sheer, like, like Dean said, the sheer timing of the fact that I was there at a time where it needed a shake up and I shook it and, and I just seemed to attract, um, the athletes. And now, you know, I, I, I suppose I, I still treat high, high level athletes, although just less of them which is much better for me because they take so much time mm -hmm. and, um you know uh, i eventually um got learning more about the fact that it wasn't so much about what i was doing it but how i was doing it and over time i realized that there isn't actually a big gap between what there isn't anything magical about what i do except for how i do it and um it really comes down to the conversations you have with your, with your, with the client it turns, it comes down to the conversations you have with your staff. And then as I grew in terms of my ability as a practitioner and my ability as a business owner, um, you know, establishing balance of the performance in 2013 made heaps and heaps of mistakes and still making them now. And now I'm at a point where I have realized that the number one thing that I reckon I'm pretty good at, that isn't chiropractic is you know understanding people yeah and just just actually listening to him listening to them and understanding what they're trying to say and what that really means mm -hmm. so i've actually started uh i've actually started a new degree now 
um, starting on Monday. Uh, it's, it's my it's psychology of business and management. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I'll be learning things like um, you know how how um, different culture setups and how you can impact them, masculine and feminine energy, and basically how cultures differ depending on which part of the world you're in. So, yeah, so uh, you know, I think psychology is probably where I'm at at the moment in terms of my further development. And I think that, um, that without, I put up a post the other day of, does the mind exist without the body? Uh, and, um, and it's really interesting that so many people said, no, it doesn't. Um, but for me, it's like, well, how can you communicate with someone without even saying something? Um, you know, how is that, um, not, how is that nonverbal communication actually relayed? Mm. And so, um, I think, I think there's more to it than just the body, but science doesn't agree with that just yet. So I say that very, very lightly. Social um, science agrees yeah. with that. Yeah. There's this paper called the sounds of science, which is just a social science yeah. paper that talks about yeah. nonverbal communication and all the things you can say with your body without speaking. I think you'd really like that paper. Yeah. And you know, like to, I think what's the percentage, I think it's only 7% of communication is verbal. Mm. So it's like, that's a lot of non-verbal. That's yeah. pretty crazy. But it is even an interesting. Um, we had a uh, an osteopath on Nathan Kelly. You're familiar with him. Uh, yeah. Recently, I'm not sure who's getting uh, get first dibs on going live to the public. But he is interesting that you said um, like it was less about how you less about what you were doing, but how you were doing it, and then having conversations. And yes. the majority of our conversation with Nathan was around. Uh, establishing a new expectation of what pain is, and that it's more biopsych. Was it? biopsychosocial mm -hmm. than it is necessarily just biological. And that's exactly what you're saying too. So that's super cool. Yeah. Correct. And some of the research coming out now is they're recognizing that, um, that the difference between if you do the same treatment, right. On a chronic pain patient. So let's say Dean, you came in with your osteolysis of your shoulder yeah. and let's say I treated it in a twice, exactly the same way. The first time I explained, I just talked about a mechanical thingamajiggy and I was just like, yeah, it's just your shoulder. It's a bit of osteolysis. We just got to do this, this, this. Uh, but on the other hand, we actually explained, um, you know, the fact that it, your AC joints actually a bit pain sensitive right now and explain some of the neuroscience behind it. There's actually a major difference between the patient that gets a mechanical explanation and a neuroscientific explanation in terms of their improvement. So it's like, hang on, I did the same thing. I just said things differently and you got significantly better. So then what we're doing is not mechanical. What we're doing is not physical. It is completely psychological or at least the majority of it. So why the fuck study it? Who cares yeah. about, about what you do to the shoulder? It actually comes, it comes down to what you're saying, which I think is fucking amazing. Do you mean explaining the what and the why to the patient? Is that what you mean? They need to know what's going on. Mm. Absolutely. But they also need to understand the process that's going on here. Okay. They need to understand what their, like what Nathan said, what their expectation is. Um, what type of process is going through their brain. And almost, it literally is um, basically treating their problem here from the top down. Mm -hmm and assessing what belief system they have about their pain. And you're not talking about placebo, are you? 
It is placebo. Mm. But placebo, placebo is not a placebo. This has got a bad rap because placebo is, is just as bad as it is, is just as nonspecific as nocebo. Yeah. And you, know, you can make someone worse uh, mm. nonspecifically and you can make someone better nonspecifically. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. They're better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Case in point. People say gluten's bad and then no SIBO. People like eat gluten. They're like, oh, I feel terrible. Yeah. You didn't the last 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like now I feel terrible. Yeah, that's crazy. Now you, you are, I'm interested. So do they, in the research of talking about whether or not they talk about like sort of the neural potential impacts of this particular manipulation you're doing versus the other explanation, is that then impacted more than I would assume on where that person's background comes from too? So e.g., uh, if you did it to me, I'm probably going to really like the technical term explanation. I'm going to have buy-in. Whereas if, you know, average Joe to the right, um, you come in and you do all the fancy, fancy, fancy shit and they're like, fuck, I don't know what you just said. They have no buy-in whatsoever. So there are, there are a few, um, there are a few little factors that, um, that are, I want to sort of work with my team on. I continue to work with my team on, on being able to personality analyze your client quickly and that is if i've got an iq driven patient like like for example you dean you are a very iq driven patient i'm going to give you an iq answer but if i've got someone who's emotionally driven who's a little bit more in touch with how they feel and potentially able to calibrate how they feel better and understand uh, like or, or let's say they don't know how to calibrate and they're super reactive to everything you say like, am I going to diagnose them? Because they're now potentially going to hold on to that because they don't know how to calibrate their emotions in the first place, but they're completely emotional and their IQ's a little bit lower. Don't want to so, be with that person. <laughs> oh it's actually like super true. Because like if, I, if I start talking, like if I go into a practitioner's office and I start discussing with them at least somewhat with some short words, like, you know, like I start saying, even if I use something simple like the humorous, if they start to redirect me and talk to me like I'm a dummy, I kind of shut off, mm. you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. Kind of, they don't play to my senses when I do, I shut off. Whereas like, yeah, I'm very much detached from emotion. Like, like for me, emotionally shallow. Mm. <laughs> but for me, that would be the difference between choosing my friends and, choo and, 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 uh, and being sort of, for me, that would be, uh, I would be, Oh, what's the fucking word now? Um, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't choose my my clients. The I suppose I'd, I'd. I suppose you're in a position where you can, Dean. But for me, I was I was wasn't in a position to be able to choose my clients that much until now. I've grown. I can now. But you tend to choose your friends in a certain way, and you know, you, if you can't sustain a conversation because your IQ is too high. And you always have to sort of temper that so that you can, they're not really your friends because you're not connecting on a, mm. on a deeper level. Mm. Um, different wavelengths, kind of like, well, how are we swimming in the same lane? Yeah. The person to my right needs to be speaking the same language. Mm. Yeah. Uh, mm. So like, let's just say uh, people that are listening, they've got injuries or have issues and they're getting like manipulations of some description. How can, what do you think some good advice from you would be to better their opportunity for success and treatment? Like if it comes down to this sort of stuff is like important. If they're walking into them and saying, I have this particular issue, are they better off maybe explaining like how they feel versus what they feel? Or do you think that that's going to be uh, particularly, uh, potentially 
erroneous because the practitioner may not understand it. The best part, the best part, uh, the best role for a client to play is to be able to at least do their best to articulate a pattern of a problem, what they're noticing with their problem to actually show some interest in engagement of what their problem actually is. Um, you know, for example, if you were to take your car to the mechanic, um, you're going, you're not going to say, Oh, there's some noise somewhere in the bonnet. They're going to ask you more questions. So if, but you know, like for example, I had a, a flat battery situation, which uh, was a very, very arduous process for me. I'm not a car person, but I'm Greek, but not a car person. And um, I took it, I took it to sort of get it looked at. And I found the response that I got from the mechanics was far better. If I actually explained the context, okay, this is what's happened. This, 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 and they're like, huh, might be this or might be that it's like it sets them on a different path of problem solving whereas if i was just like look i've got a flat battery oh but you didn't know that this is there's now the second time i've needed to replace it mm. into it. Mm. so you know like if, if you come in with some sort of articulation about it, it helps the practitioner but that's all i'd ask a, pay, a client to do the rest is up to the practitioner and their ability to lead and actually have a grip or a grasp on how to be able to mold and, and be able to see beneath the surface of this person's explained it in such a way. For example, um, oh yeah, like whenever I raise my arm up, like, oh, it's such bad pain. It's terrible. It's terrible. Versus it's the same pain. Yep. I get stuck at this point. The pain is unbearable to go past that, but I can move around it in other ways. So they're talking about the same symptom. But the, the more reactive one is talking about, oh, it's just terrible. It's like, well, if I'm going to try and problem solve that, I'm with the person that's jumping at their pain, I'm, they're looking for relief. Mm. Whereas the person that's articulated and shown me, oh, no, but I've actually problem solved already. I've been trying to muck around with it a bit. And, you know, I can tell that this came out of nowhere. It's not an injury. They're already thinking about it, which means I'm actually, they're actually looking for an outcome. Mm. So for me, for, as a practitioner, they're, they're presenting as who they are. It's up to me to be able to decipher between the two and be like, I've got to treat this shoulder very differently in one person compared to the other, same problem. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So do you find that uh, with the group of people or your patients that you focus on, which is athletes now, they typically present in one way versus general pop people who might kind of fall under a particular banner or is that not the case? I think, um, I think athletes, I think athletes are, they present in a way which they, hmm, they are very, very complicated, the <laughs> athlete, because they are generally so obsessed with what they do and so obsessed to return to what they do that they become almost fixated on the problem that they're presented with. And, but it's in a way it's, it's in a much more pragmatic way than, um, so let's say I've got, um, you know, some like a corporate like a desk warrior, right? Someone who sits at a desk all day, um, who's highly stressed. They come in with neck pain. 
and they that it, it affects them just as badly because what a desk warrior does is sit all day and and work all day and what an athlete does is train all day so either way they're doing something all day yeah. and and it affects them just as badly but for some reason the athlete well for a big reason the athlete puts a bigger meaning on the pain because it could the fear that they have underneath the surface of the symptom is this could stop me mm. from a my goal whereas the desk warrior saying it's getting in my way it's kind of like a different impact yeah so yeah so so it's almost like you the the athlete in a sense is a more urgent situation because that pain is could be a bit of a catastrophe for that for that athlete whereas for the desk warrior if it affects them today tomorrow or the next day if it's not debilitating it's not stopping them from actually getting their work done. It might be interfering a little bit, but are they bedridden? No. Is the athlete bedridden? No. But is it stopping one versus the other? Yes. Yeah. Same pain, same severity, different catastrophe, I suppose. Yeah. You yeah. took that word out of my mouth. I was going to say, like, athletes, even in my world, of, you know, contest prep, the catastrophization of small issues, <laughs> so alarmingly high. But, but I think that's also because, yeah, usually if it's an injury, it's like, it's also time specific. I have X goal at X time. This is going to impact that. But even though it may be a week, it's yeah. a big problem. Yeah. yeah. We also find that, you know, athletes or just gym rats don't catastrophize things when they probably should. So case in point where somebody doesn't actually learn to do something properly and then they carry on doing whatever the movement pattern is not properly. And then they ingrain these movement patterns and that is a catastrophe down the track, but they don't quite see the importance in that. And that's probably something you see all the time. Oh yeah. Like, you know, they, we don't want to create, we don't want to create a breed of athletes or active, the active population. We don't want to ingrain this hypersensitivity or hypochondriac type of attitude. Mm -hmm. We don't want them coming in for every single little signal that they're receiving from their body. Yeah. Like half the time for, 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 a, for a, a, new, a newbie in the gym, someone that hasn't been training or is quite deconditioned, they're going to have such bad, like they're going to have DOMS to a point where they're going to feel it in their lower back and they're going to come in thinking, oh, I've had this pain for about four days. It's not going away. Brother, you haven't used that shit for ages. Yeah. <laughs> You've just woken shit up that you've basically wake working a giant, like, come on. And so, but I don't know that. And we don't want to, we don't want to instill a thing of, I need to go to the Cairo physio for everything. Uh, I want to, they need to realize that pain is part of the progress and pain is part of growing. However, when you start getting asymmetric pain, when you start getting sharp pain, that's specific. When you start getting, positional issues like it hurts me here only and then it goes away those sorts of things are they're things that you need to get looked at that they're, they're not they're not ignoring you don't ignore those ones the ones you do ignore are like my biceps are so tight right now like dude you just did 100 bicep curls that's <laughs> that's probably why so and even if that does transpire transpire into a bit of that medial um, medial elbow pain or um, a little bit of pain here and there. Like, I mean, your tendons need to grow too. And there's no reason why they can't become pain sensitive with overloading as well. Mm. So um, as long as they're not avoiding movement for too long because of the pain, then we're sweet. 
But if you're noticing that a problem is persisting beyond a reasonable time frame, so beyond four or five days, yeah, probably worth getting it checked. Mm. Or if it's one side, not the other. Yeah. Yeah. So when they get ignored, these ones, um, because they can push through or avoid it, um, yeah, your brain's going to avoid pain at all costs, fear avoidance behavior. It's just inbuilt in us um, for our safety. And as a result, we end up just changing the way we want to load something. Mm-hmm. And yeah, right? <laughs> I've, spent, I've literally spent the last 10 years of my training career, let's call it, uh, finding ways to train away from the pain that impacts my ability to train the way that I want to train. Yeah. And, you know, a prime example of that probably was your bench press. Mm. Like, I mean, yeah, we had, to, we had to make some changes to that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the day, I went from, uh, talk about not catastrophizing, catastrophizing a problem was that I had pain. I recognized it was on my only on my left side. It was causing me issues. I allowed it to get a little bit worse. And then I went from, I remember like within the space of a week, seven days apart, I went from dumbbell pressing fifties to like barely being able to press a 30. And I went, Oh, I've probably taken too long to get this. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah you're Mr. IQ. Like you, you're not emotionally reactive to anything. <laughs> so it's like, whereas I would have gone straight away. I would have been like, fuck me, get me to the, get me to the hospital. I even have a funny story. My ex uh, and I decided to get roller skates. This is how removed I am from the emotional response. And here we are roller skating down this near the Brisbane river. She falls over, right? comes smashing down on her wrist. And then I'm like, ah, it doesn't look great, but like, it's probably just a sprain. And then we walk it back home. And by the time we got home, there was a, a definite like level up like, oh, Ooh. and I'm like, well, that's some very localized specific inflammation. And then we're like, I'm like, still like, yeah, maybe we should just wait, see how it goes. And then her brother's like, that doesn't look good. I'm like, all right, let's go to the hospital. She'd snap, she'd snap the bone clean. Oh my god! God damn! Oh my god! Far out. So people, <laughs> people not uh, getting their pains looked at. I mean, if it's you know general and not specific, and we don't want them to catastrophize, fine. But I do find that some people are lacking, where they're like, no, 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 I'll be fine, I'll be sweet. Um, and I, it's not what people, what some people may think that it's just, you know, like the big men. I also have some female clients who just kind of brush it off mm. and it gets to the, like it catches up with them down the road and it stops them in their tracks. Instead of taking a couple of days of training, do the rehab work that your practitioner has told you to do. Like it will slow you down now, but you'll end up further uh, than if it stops you dead in your tracks a month from now, two months from now, six months yeah, from now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think with people, I suppose, you know, there are probably different guidelines for different people. Now, someone who's a little bit more IQ driven, g- these people generally tend to follow checklists, schedules, tasks, systems. And if there is like a, you know, if you have a set of guidelines of, right, when I have pain that that has these, the following characteristics, then I'm, then I need to get it checked versus I don't need to get it checked. And that's, that's that type of approach is really good for someone like you, Dean, where you're a little bit more IQ driven, where you need maybe a bit more of a guideline to figure out, right. What are, what are kind of like my rules on when I need to get something checked? I don't want to use pain, which is so subjective and biopsychosocial. It's so subjective and it's kind of like pain's never an indicator of a problem 
at the same time, um, when, when should I not ignore it? So what are the things that, you know, for example, I mean, now would you be able to think of three things like that now that you had plenty of injuries that you could say, these are the, probably the three things that I would get. If they exist, I need to go get it checked. Yeah. I would say I probably do. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Like this. There's certain triggers and movement patterns and stuff that I start to notice either becomes extremely inhibited or very weak. Then I'm like, nah, damn it. So it'd be like specific, asymmetrical, and mm. maybe level of pain could be... For sure. Like, especially yeah. because I've been subjected to reasonable amounts of physical pain in my lifetime, that if it's something that I actually say, whoa, that's painful, like, I know it's probably not a great way, not a great thing going on. Yeah. 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 And uh, but what I'm also hearing is if you notice a change in your movement pattern, if you notice a, a, a like a weakness associated with that movement pattern, um, plus pain. So if you have those three things: pain, change of movement pattern, and weakness, give Dr. Nathan a, a, a quick call, eh? Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Pretty much like oh, time to have somebody that has a better uh, gauge of what's going on here. Have a look at it. Yeah. So for listeners out there, the only reason that. Uh, Dean and I stopped seeing Dr. Nick and we moved to Dr. Nathan is because we moved from Sydney to Queensland. And Dr. Nick would not get in our suitcase. No, he refused. As much as we tried to stuff him in there, he just kept kicking and screaming. He said, there's likely not enough concrete at your house for me to live with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not enough log jokes in this world. <laughs> nah. And you know what? Like I probably could have fit in your suitcase. Now I can't fit. I reckon I've put on 15 kilos since I've, uh, since I've seen you guys. So. Weight or bad weight? Not answering that question. Um, uh, <laughs> defer. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> That's funny. How long have you been married now? Uh, married, married nine months. Ma- married in uh, March. Okay, so that's like two oh. kilos a month. Nearly. Is that eight months? Eight months, nine months. What did you say, sorry? It's two kilos a month. If two kilos a month. Yeah. Yeah, so, look, it's the, pol- it's the Polish food that I'm having. It's, uh, you know, she's a good cook. Potato, right? The other thing too is, is that uh, you need more weight to produce more force to minimize like, you know, digit issues and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's purely professionally put this weight on. <laughs> like seriously, my hands, like I've got some thumb muscles here that are pretty rare. It's yeah. kind of like, it's like a kind of, it's like a allied health specific development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, is there a bodybuilding for Kairos? Because like <laughs> thumbs would be in there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like we're talking about this asymmetry in athletes. Uh, and I'd be interested to actually hear if you're seeing any common asymmetries in people coming through uh, your clinics. But yeah, otherwise yeah. asymmetry for Kairos is one monster hand that has six fingers instead of five. Well, I met a banana fruit picker once and he had a giant arm and then a little arm. Oh, really? Yeah, because he was carrying yeah. all the bananas. Like a tennis player. Yeah, I guess so. So, <laughs> it's really funny. So what are the common asymmetries that you find in athletes? Mm. So uh, we have two factors that associate that uh, create asymmetry. The first one is going to be trauma. Mm-hmm. So if you've had a history of trauma anywhere, that will, it's, unless you've done a stellar job of rehabbing it, which is in 90% of cases, not the case. Um, if you've done a stellar job rehabbing it, you probably, and, and then integrated, you know, your feed forward system, which is the shit that activates before you move, which is far more important than your feedback for different, you know, in terms of quality of movement, that is. 
But if you integrate an, a, an injury back in with your feed forward mechanisms, then you will now never have that problem again, theoretically, right? Now, most people don't do that because they kind of have pain as a gauge. Um, you know, in order to get it done right, once you've injured something, you've got to go, okay, I've restored local arthrokinematic, local joint function. I've now also integrated one, one joint above, one joint below. And now I've also integrated that function with a feed forward mechanism at the core. So if I go to get up, the first thing that's, that's firing is not my legs. The first thing that's firing is stability of the spine and potentially some bracing. Yeah. So if you don't really know how to use that, so it actually looks like a strength and conditioning program. So if you don't build your general strength and your strength endurance and you know, your hypertrophy in through muscles that have lost their ability due to joint pain, um, then you're really at a, you're really forced to compensate. Yeah. Now, is there a pattern with that? Well, no, it's individual and that depends on where they've had trauma. So actually integrating an injury back in with your feed forward mechanisms and your, and your, the way that your body used to work is extremely arduous. Mm. Most people don't have the patience for that or the knowledge for that in terms of practitioners. Um, no, sorry? I was going to say, I think this is a good example of why people can't deal with their own injuries themselves who aren't an expert in the field. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a good push or an obvious example of why people should go see someone for their injuries. Because all this stuff you're talking about, I can't imagine average Joe knows how to do. No, and, and the one thing that they, especially, and we'll just use the sprained ankle as an example, because the sprained ankle is by far and wide the, the biggest contributor to, to um, lower limb biomechanical issues, because it's usually a nonchalant thing. It's like, oh yeah, I sprained my ankle three times playing footy. Yeah, you did, that's fine. But if your joint if there is any joint pain or swelling, or if there is like any joint irritation, we have something called neuromuscular arthrogenic inhibition. So when you go in for a knee surgery, you'll notice that the VMO or the quad is completely atrophied just with an arthroscope. So the needle or the, the, the incisions and the, uh, the punctures didn't actually affect directly on the quad. It affected the knee joint capsule. But then after the surgery, they come out with a completely atrophied quad. So why? And the reason for that is NAI, neuromuscular arthrogenic inhibition. Now, it is inhibition. So there is, I am stopping, I am stopping all nerve supply right now to protect you. Mm. When you sprain a joint, same shit happens, probably not as badly. And until you actually restore joint function, and then built now, let's say, for example, a muscle, muscles that are involved in an ankle sprain, your perineals and your tibialis posterior, uh, you know, basic coronal plane, transverse plane type of muscles. If I have those two muscles involved, how do you know that that's atrophied or not? Mm. You know, and the amount of people that come in with a, with a, a literally a hollow spot where their tib post should be because of an ankle sprain. And I'd be like, how many times you sprained his ankle? And they're like, oh yeah, heaps. It's like, no shit, mate. Now you don't know how to control your fucking arch. Yeah. So and as a result, 
snowballed into right. a large issue. Yeah, and then if we if we think about the global effect of that, if if your perineals are working super hard, well, that's your lateral line up into your lateral hip. So it's either going to really ramp up muscles like your glute med and your TFL, or your perineals are going to be super switched on. Your tip post is going to be super switched off because of, you never recovered from the injury. And the tip post synergist up the chain is adductor. So then your adductor is like a rock, which then inhibits antagonistically. It will just fight your glute med. Mm. Or both will work and you'll have hip compression. Yeah. So a lot of this is speculative. Some, a lot of practitioners would call bullshit because you, know, you can't prove that. Well, fuck you. My clients prove it. <laughs> Talk so, about symmetry then, because yeah. that's all happening just on one side. Yeah. yeah, and not the other. Yeah. And then, you know, let's say, for example, you're, it's just your adductor that starts to fire up. If, you're, if your adductor is then going to start firing up, your hip is naturally, just in, just in standing, going to want to adduct. Mm. So if your glute med isn't fighting that, well, your length and tone is different on the outside of the hip versus the inside. So what does that do to your center of gravity? Yeah. Yeah, and then you're going to have some other counterbalance stuff going on there up above the hips, I assume. Exactly. So then people come in with these faux pas scoliosis. Mm. Right, that started at the foot. So um, one thing I learned early on is that a problem down below works its way up. And this is just a great clear example of how a sprained ankle can work its way to the shoulders and neck. Very easily. Yeah. I it's think not overnight. Not overnight. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the toughest thing about this is that it's a progression over time that's not even noticed. Yeah. That goes from being an acute, very localized injury to then having a systemic effect five years down the track that now requires so much time, like you said, and it's an arduous process and most people just give up. Yeah, sort your shit out, people, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And the ones, the ones that end up presenting with um, that have a long history are the ones that went to a good practitioner, right? And that good practitioner addressed the symptom and the local area, let's say my shoulder pain that developed gradually. So I'm always, it's the difference between I hurt myself and I landed on my arm and I dislocated my shoulder versus I've developed this, this niggle here for some reason, I don't know why, and it's not going away. Mm. So when someone develops, now we talked about trauma as one cause of asymmetry, the other cause of asymmetry is now behavior. Mm-hmm. So what I do all the time. So it's kind of like if you now do stuff in a certain way all the time and if there is some sort of asymmetry associated with that, whether it's because of trauma or because you never crawled as a baby, whatever the reason is, it's got to be, it, it will lead to an overload on one side versus the other. And because of our constant need, thank you to our vestibular system, which saves us a lot, but because of our constant need to stay in center and level with the horizon at all times for our safety, we will now accommodate that by, by, by rotating the thoracic spine. Let's say, for example, my pec is overworking on one side and I've got like a, a weird twist through my sternum and it's like, why does this pop up more? People come to me all the time. This pec's bigger than this one. And they usually have the opposite lat bigger than the other. Mm. It's like, well, 
that didn't happen overnight. That's because of either trauma or behavior. So what trauma did you have? Oh, just some ankle stuff. I'm like, All right, how am I going to, how, how am I going to convince them now? <laughs> Tell them to listen to this podcast. That's how yeah. you can convince them. <laughs> I hate, I hate when I talk to you because I, I like have moments where I'm like, yeah, fuck's sake. Like, I know. And even like the last, like literally probably the last two months I've been sitting at my desk and obviously like we occasionally do like, you know, video education. I sit there and like fucking stupid left shoulders always raised and like anteriorly rotated. I'm always like this. And I sit there and I'm like, this is my fix. Like just be conscious <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's good again. <laughs> my right clavicle sticks out more than my left. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I'm, a, uh, I'm a traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> now, Just go to fashion first. Go to fashion first. The, the, oh, but they'll notice there. They'll notice there. That's the problem. Yeah. But you're not allowed to sweat there. You can only glisten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to walk around with a mist gun just in case. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, we wanted to move on to a something worth sharing question. We wanted to know if you have read or listened to or have anything that you think is worth sharing with our listeners today. Yeah. Um, you know, with my, I, I recently finished as, as a precursor and, and a non-compulsory one, uh, as a precursor to my next venture in study um, in psychology, um, of course, like I didn't go and study basic psychology. Of course, I did a postgraduate and I was like, nah, fuck basic psychology. Let's just go to the real shit. <laughs> psychology of business and management, right? So, but as a precursor, I thought it might be sensible if I just do an introduction to psychology. And I did it through Coursera, which was really, really good. It was a six-week course, two hours of lectures a week and a quiz. 75 bucks. I get this fancy little certificate proving that I did it, so Yes. Uh, haven't posted it because uh, it's no one else's business, you know. <laughs> at, at the same time, uh, one thing that it really touched—it touched on a lot of di different things, like um, developmental psychology, uh, emotions, fear, personality, um, heaps of stuff. However, what I'm, what is really commonly understood now is that we really focus heavily and put a lot of gravity on the negative things that happen to us, but not the positive where it's almost like when I'm talking to mates, um, because I've been so stressed with business over the past, however long, um, or just too focused on solving people's negative problems all the time that I've just become so attuned to negativity that I forgot about happiness and not that I'm not happy, it's more like, hang on, how do you become happy? And so I think something worth sharing is, and this is where things like gratitude comes into it, right? And it's like, well, we spend so much of our day problem solving that we don't even realize it. Like, oh, um, I've got a, and we've got little lights for things, you know, like little smart lights, like a petrol light. Oh. You know, I've got, oh, I've got a signal. I've got to go, oh, I've got to problem solve that. Okay, where's the nearest petrol station? I problem solve that. It's like, oh, there's traffic that way. Problem solve that. And we're getting smarter at figuring out faster ways to solving our, solving our problems, but none of them lead to happiness. They just solve problems faster so they can solve more problems. So actually, no wonder our stress is going up because actually we're solving more problems faster. So without even realizing it, more we're getting more stressed because we've got more problems, but we're able to solve them because of technology. So what is it about happiness? How do you become happy? Is it 
the quest to solve the most amount of problems the fastest? I don't fucking think so. Yeah. I think it's actually trying to figure out where the light is in amongst the problems. Identifying when someone else did something for you, but you were too busy solving a problem mm, that you wow. didn't notice. And I think that's where gratitude comes into it. I think, I think gratitude is something that's been a bit, it's been like, it's almost like a, oh, you must do this. You know, it's almost like a, a compulsory thing, but people are blindly doing gratitude or I'm grateful for the sun. Mm. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> what we're talking about is you need to be grateful for something like that you, that you have experienced that you were too busy not to notice. Mm-hmm. That might be the sun. If that is the sun, then I hope you're truly great. And I, I know you're truly grateful for the sun. Mm. And right now the sun's a little too hot with all these fires, right? But, um, so I'd be grateful for some rain. But I think like, it's got to be more like, I'm really grateful for the fact that I've got such a supportive wife because I do problem solve a lot. And when I come home, that's just one thing I don't have to solve. And it actually allows me to just come home and if I need to pour myself a glass of whiskey, I will. And yes, and and that and actually allows me a chance to connect. Mm. And I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. So I think something worth sharing is people need to take a little bit more care with their three gratitude, three lists, three things that they're grateful for, because they need to be specific to what you missed, not not for the things that are happening all the time that actually don't mean much and you can't think of anything. It's more like, no, what did you miss? This is such interesting timing because just this morning on my morning walk, I started a new audio book called Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow, something like that. And thinking just, fast and slow. Yeah, Thinking Fast and Slow. You've, you've listened to it. I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in, I think it's just chapter one because I haven't gotten very far in the book. They talk about, you know, you're at a... Um, you're at a party and you hear someone say something really offensive across the room. And no matter what's going on, you can't help but focus on that thing. And the only thing that can break your focus on that is to focus on something else. So try and redirect your attention to something else, which is kind of similar to what you're saying. You're focusing on people's problems. You're focusing on the negative and you're trying to redirect that. And I got home actually, and on my Insta story today, this podcast isn't coming out today. So for those checking my Insta story, I'm not lying. It's what's on the 21st. Anyways, I spoke about it on Insta. Um, the client yesterday, I had a, a consult call with her and she was saying that she really wanted to get to a particular weight and she's approaching that now. But when she looks in the mirror, she's so disappointed. She's so hyper-focused on how she looks um, and she's missing that she didn't think she could do a chin-up. She did six in a row the other day. She's keeping yeah. up all the beasts at CrossFit that she used to look up to and now she's performing alongside them. So I actually got her to write down a gratitude diary, three things she loves about her body, either functional or visual. Um, yeah. and so she can start to focus on the things she loves, not the things she doesn't love. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's just such a weird timing that you bring that up and it was just this morning that the book and the Insta story post happened. Yeah. I'll yeah. uh, spit out just a second. We've got a, okay. a whippersnipper up in the background. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, the other, I was going to say, this is really good timing too, because although I'm not going to promote, although maybe it's worth trying, mushrooms. 
Um, <laughs> I was listening. I was listening to uh, a Joe Rogan pod, uh, podcast the other day with Paul Smith, who's like the mycologist of the world that people think are the top dog. And he said he went to a, uh, a neuroscience um, a convention thing that he went to, and one of the mothers and sons were there together, and they said they'd gone on a, a trip together on psilocybin mushrooms. And they said, we no longer fight. Like, we recognise we have problems, but what we recognised on a trip was that, oh, there's a lot more out there that we don't see. So when the when shit goes bad, just recognise that this really isn't the biggest problem in your day. Have a discussion, but then move on. And it was just interesting because I think your choice of words was exactly that. Like, while you're solving, solving problems, you miss the good shit. And they were essentially saying the exact same thing, except it, it took a, a, a mushroom trip for them. To yeah. Uh, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta have a trip, mate, and you'll uh, and you'll, you'll realign yourself. <laughs> Super interesting. There's actually a book that you might be interested in, Nick, called The Good Life. That actually, because you're talking about happiness and you know how we can find our way there or back there. The good life. Yeah, the good life. yeah, by someone Hughes. Writing um, it down. <laughs> it's good, but it argues that happiness actually should not be the end goal, but rather. Mm life should be the end goal full of anger and happiness and fear and joy and and all sorts of things but mm. yeah like i'm not saying happiness is wrong and we shouldn't aim for it but that might just be a counter argument that you might be interested in yeah, and, sure. and, add, and, to, and to add to that you know the what i think uh, i can't remember where i read this but science is starting to prove that achieving long-term happiness is starts by finding some happiness every day Mm. Cool, I like that. So, so perhaps I'm mm. yeah. Anyway, I thought that was worth sharing, and um, yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Which yeah. will uh, take us into this, the final part of our podcast, which is three fun questions we ask all guests. They are, they do vary, but you're currently within the first block of these questions. I would like to pause and take a step back. Yes. Do you have an embarrassing gym moment that you would like to share with us? An embarrassing gym moment? Yeah. Oh yeah! Oh fuck yeah! I've got heaps. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, <laughs> I've got two. How about I give you two? Right. I'll give you a good one and a bad one. Okay. So the first time, like you know, when I first entered CrossFit um, over at Revolution X in Marylands, I um, did my first CrossFit work. Well, that's a lie. My first CrossFit workout, which was also embarrassing, was in Glasgow, and I was in Glasgow with some mates and. I did, a, I did a workout called Fight Gone Bad. It's like five rounds um, of one minute, whatever it is, right? And it's, it was fucking disgusting. Anyway, so the, the first round, the first round, I nailed that shit. And then uh, it just took a little bit of rest. That rest period really fucked me up. And then basically I was literally, for the rest of it, you know, top score, like I beat everyone. I'm so competitive. Yeah. I beat everyone in the first round, but then I couldn't actually... <laughs> I couldn't actually get up and do the rest, which was pretty embarrassing. That's number one. Number two was I didn't learn from that. So I did that again uh, at Revolution X. The first time I did a Sydney CrossFit workout and uh, I was seeing stars so much that, that I don't even remember who brought me. I had to bring me pineapple. Like I had to, I was on the gym floor, like, uh, like writhing around, like I was Jordan Belfort. <laughs> and it was like it was like they're like I think this guy's gonna fucking die and, and so they brought me some some fruit and since then i was like okay i've got to i still haven't learned my lesson i still go hard at the beginning of every 
So that was pretty embarrassing. Uh, I also did that when I was doing my first CrossFit level one. So I did my CrossFit level one certificate and I had a workout of 12, uh, 15, 12, nine burpees thrusters. And mate, I went out of the blocks and in front of the entire class, I just couldn't. I was like, again, so yeah, like it was, <laughs> I just, it's embarrassing that I didn't learn my fucking lesson. Like, I, <laughs> Pace yourself. It's like, this happens every time I don't understand um second most embarrassing was um I was doing a workout and I was wearing some swimmers that were a little tight and and mid-workout like I was doing some thrusters and at the bottom of the thrusters my pants exploded like not not just a little rip it went (laughs) what the fuck was that and why am I squatting so deep Hey. Were you wearing undies? Thankfully. Okay. So my client, uh, hi Kat, if you're listening, my client Kat tagged me in a post this morning of that happening to someone. Mm. And you can just see like what he ate for breakfast. The dude wasn't wearing undies. Like, how does who, who doesn't wear undies? I don't thruster? Like, he was actually thing. squatting. But even then, like yeah. man, <laughs> if gravity tells you that that thing's gonna go downwards. And if you're not wearing underwear and you're squatting and you get balls deep, <laughs> yep. how do you not end up getting mixed up in that thing? So I used, Seriously. To, I used to play soccer with dudes that wouldn't wear underwear in soccer. I'm like, how the fuck can you run? I don't get that. Lap, you, know? Yeah. You, know, you know, I did my first aid course and the guy there was Matt Shervington. And I was like, mm-hmm. I, wanted to, I really wanted to say, dude, how are the people? <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Nothing more masculine than a big set of nuts. <laughs> well, I didn't say anything, so anyway. <laughs> um, oh, Sorry, final round of questions. Yes, okay. If there was one mystery that you could solve, be it anything at all, biological, economical, whatever, what would it be? How did the world begin? See, that's the second time that that's come up. And I think, actually, I think Nathan Kelly said that, didn't he? The beginnings of Earth. Um, or sure. no, I think he said, what's the meaning of life? But then it, it circled around to that. And is, is that, do you not prescribe to the Big Bang Theory and Darwin's evolution yeah. theory? So I've, uh, I've just finished the chapter in Stephen Hawking's book of, um, of brief questions to the big, brief answers to the big questions. Okay. One of them is, how did the world begin? Yes, he, he believes that the Big Bang Theory is that we can, like we can create the entire universe from nothing, from nothing. And it can happen from nothing because well, what's inside a black hole? Well, well, but we know that it can destroy and obliterate an entire planet mm. like that. And it travels way faster than the speed of light with such pressure that is just impossible to even fathom. But what's inside of it and why? So is that, so, the, hey? is that the question then, what's inside of it? No, because then I still don't understand where we came from. Is that where we came from? Who was there? <laughs> I, think, I think the other thing that I really like is the fact that the universe is continuously expanding. 
So as, as, as we know it, it's actually like potentially whatever happened back then is what's actually allowing the universe to continue to grow, um, which I think is just incredible. But the relationship that I see that's so mathematical, it's like, how can everything be so perfectly aligned in a 3D? Like if, if things weren't mapped out in a 3D way, then we'd have planets colliding. We'd have all sorts of problems. And the way that our cells interact with each other would be in a 3D way as well. But then, oh, fuck, another mystery would be, is it really reality that we have right now? Or is this right just... Yeah. Just, uh, or is this just... Yeah, at uni, I did quite a bit of philosophy for my electives just because I find it interesting. And one... Uh, subject I studied under philosophy was called epistemology and that's just the study of knowledge what can we really know and one question that we tackled was are we really experiencing the reality that we think we are and it was just a whole semester based on knowledge it was really interesting yeah, yeah. Or, or, or are we just mentally masturbating too much maybe that was it. It's sort of like the only thing you can say is true is that you're having an experience right now that was the conclusion at the end of the semester yeah it's fucking true. Like, could you imagine if, like, there was a bird's eye view of us and we were all just standing in our own room, staring at a white wall, just going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone's watching you when you think you're, you're on your own? Yeah. And he's just like, jokes on you, motherfucker. We don't look what things doing right now. Oh my God. Maybe that's an answer, Nick. Maybe if you do mushrooms, you might go into an alternate universe and see how we were created. If you're doing nothing on December 6th or 7th, <laughs> Dean and I are trying mushrooms for the first time. You are welcome to join us. We're going to Mullumbimby, which we is near Mimbin. Yeah. Oh, you're going to nip? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think, I think I've, heard, I've heard that a good place to start is the shrooms and then to progress to DMT. Mm. So if you, if, uh, I think apparently if you want to have that real proper out-of-body experience and a a dive into your subconscious mind. I think a lot of people talk about it, like um, like um, Mike Tyson talks about it. I think um, Joe Rogan talks about DMT. I think a lot of these like celebs that are getting enlightened all of a sudden, um, I just take a DMT and they're just like, whoa, that was... Yeah. Well, the cool thing about a DMT trip too is it's actually only think like sub 10 minutes. It's not even that long. You, you feel yeah. like the perception is that you're in there for hours, but it's a quick happening, you know? Uh, whereas mushrooms is like a four to six hour thing. Like you, you're in there. Come in and out of it. Um, the comment that Paul Stamets made again was with uh, this whole concept around microdosing of LSD and all these other things. He's saying that will be the answer to human creativity ongoing if we just allow it. Hmm. Um, whereas it's like with the way the world's going now with a lot of regulation and the rest of it, we could be dampening the opportunity for creativity. It's some, there's some really cool shit. But anyway, tobacco is legal. Another, probably another, another podcast for another time. Um, <laughs> Second question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's okay. Yeah, it's good. Yes. <laughs> if you were to be arrested tomorrow, but none of your friends knew what it was for, what do you think they would assume you did? That they knew that, say the, ask the question again. You've been arrested. Nobody knows what it was for. What do all of your friends and family assume you did? Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Like that is a... Uh... That's a killer question. I actually like, I, I think it could be a range of things. <laughs> it could be like, it could be like fraud. Um, 
fraud. It could be like, um, definitely like possession. No, no, my friends would think. No, no. Friends and family? No, no, they wouldn't think possession. Probably fraud. They probably thought that I fucked up with my business something. Like, I fucked something up with my business or I did something illegal. Yeah. Like money laundering or some shit. Is there something we should be telling the ATO? <laughs> See, I knew this was a dangerous question. I shouldn't have fucking said anything. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I reckon my friends and family would assume that I fucked the business somehow and like, I've, I've like been done for like, yeah, for like money laundering or like embezzling money or something like that. Um, Too creative in your accounting. Yes. Hey? Too creative in your accounting. Exactly. <laughs> I'd say it would be as boring as that, but I, I don't think I don't think they would assume that it would be anything drug related. They wouldn't assume it would be anything, um, you know, human trafficking related. Um, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be murder. It wouldn't be murder. Uh, <laughs> We've had a couple of people say public nudity, which is interesting. Yeah, Alicia and Dalton said public nudity. That was interesting. I think you did. Uh, okay. no, that's that's the final question, which is always the, you know, your the would most you important. rather question. Would you rather sniff the undies of 10 unknown strangers or eat an omelette off the floor of a King's Cross strip club? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Sniff the undies of 10 unknown strangers? Yes. Or eat an omelette? Is the, the omelette fresh? Sure. But it's, it's been on the floor for a good 10 minutes, people walking around it and shit. The floor wasn't cleaned at the strip club. It's like most a night at King's Cross. Oh, in a strip club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At a, at a um, strip club. <laughs> oh, sniff the undies. Oh, that's going to... But then, like, you're going to... I'm going to go with the undies, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with the undies. But are we talking about a good sniff, like a solid sniff? Yeah, yeah. you have to really get up there. No. Shit. It's 10 of them. It's only a two egg omelette. I reckon, <laughs> no, I reckon I'm going to go with sniff. Okay. All right. Man, you don't know what you're going to get. That could be putrid. But that's cool, man. If that's what you're into, we're fine. Justification for this is if you go to, a, if you go to like Maya and like try different colognes and stuff, there's a certain point where you actually can't differentiate what you're smelling anymore. Yeah. So actually what I reckon is that smell is going to start to habituate because although there's going to be different, different scents and shit, you're going to have, if you're going to get a good sniff of that, you're yeah. probably going to habituate to it to a certain degree, meaning you're only going to pick up the new scent. So I'm assuming you're going to smell piss and shit. So I'm just going to smell piss and shit. And then all I'll be picking up by probably the third one is just the variations of the new ones. So you're not, you're not going to bring coffee beans to smell in between each undie sniff. Is that what you mean? No. So, so, so that you don't reset. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're yeah. going with the foundation approach. I like it. I'm going with the undies. All yeah. right. Accepted. Now, undie sniffer, where can our listeners find you if they wanted to? Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a few channels. <laughs> Send me your undies and <laughs> to this address. <laughs> it's uh, Flex Success. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, they, they, first and foremost, they can, they can find me at Balance of the Performance. So Balance of the Performance across five locations. I primarily treat at Bondi Junction, um, but we've got 
an amazing team. I've been training them all for a num for a long time now, and they're all amazing. So um, if you've got an injury or a, or something you want looked at before before it becomes a shoulder problem that you didn't expect, uh, or that ankle sprain, or whatever you know what I mean, <laughs> go and give Balance of the Performance a try. Um, Balanceofthe.performance.com.au um, or balancehp.com.au, sorry, got my own fucking website wrong. And then you can, you can reach out to me um, directly at info at drnickpappas.com. Um, my personal website and all the information you need about who I am is at drnickpappas.com. Or if you just search me on Instagram, you'll probably find me talking about some shit again. So, um, so you're welcome to follow me. Um, but, uh, but, whether I could, the way I can help you is either going to be if you're, if you need some help with your pain, that's number one. Number two is if you're a healthcare practitioner who needs some development that needs a little bit of mentorship, that's where I can help you. Or if you're a healthcare business owner who needs some help understanding what they're doing in their healthcare business, um, that's where I can help too. So okay. awesome. awesome. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time, Dr. Nick. Um, watch out in the post for some undies and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. Cheers, guys.